Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message.
Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary. We're so glad you could join us. Would you please stand with us as we worship this morning? Over me, you have made me new. 
Good morning, everybody. How are you? All right. Now, last week, some people say you couldn't hear me, so just heckle me, okay? If you can't hear me, just yell at me, okay? Um, did you all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, man, I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday, okay? Get to sit down, get a plate of food. No one's judging you. You get to eat it all, you know, take a little nap, and then you wake up like, man, turkey sandwich sounds good. So, I don't know. That's just me. No, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, when you walked in this morning, you should have picked up a bulletin. On the bottom of that is your connection card, so make sure that you, you know, pull that off. Whether it's your first time here, if you've been coming for a while, fill that out, put it in the plate. Or No, there's no more plates. Oh, my God. So, yeah, just put it back there. Um, three ways to give, right? You can text, you can um, go to the website, or you can put it back there in the lobby. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for now. You'll see me later. All right, thank you, everybody. And let's continue on. See you this morning. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
Except for a heart singing. 
Thank you. You guys can have a seat. got my microphone on. You can hear me now. All right. Good deal. You'd think after all these years, I would have that dialed in. But you know what? I'm a work in progress. Who else is a work in progress in the house today? Who's lying? Just, uh, no. Oh, only got one hand up. So we'll pray for you, sister. You're good. You're in the right place. Hey, I'm super excited to finish up this collection of talks. And as you know, if you've been here, this is week four of uh, just a collection of of sermons having to do with missions, and missions is something that we wholeheartedly believe in. It's tied into our vision. We at Calvary, we are a church for God, for the city, for the nations, and we've had an emphasis all month long to, to just show uh, you and to also invite you into uh, participating into world missions, and I want you to know this is something that we so believe in that we believed in for so many years. We support 52 different missionaries, whether it's in the States or all over the world. And we are so happy to be able to do that. We have people like Michelle, who was here last week and gave a testimony of just her faithfulness here and Greg going off into the field. And every one of our missionaries has a story like that. And so we, we tie these stories into the lifeblood of who we are as a church, not only in this space with adults and with students across the street, but also our kids but yet our kids have a little different perspective when it comes to missions. So I have a video for you here, and you'll get to see maybe what their perspective of missions is. So can you tell me what a missionary is? Um, it's people that like, go around the world um, to different churches to tell other people about Jesus that might not know him as well. Cool. Yeah, it's a person that goes around and talks about Jesus to other people in different countries. It's a person. Missionary is it's a kind of place where you hide all your things at. Oh. People that live away uh, from yeah. far away and they had to travel a really long time. And they go to different places where a lot of uh, where churches aren't are usually, and teach people about God. They go around the world and tell everyone about Jesus. That's uh, a person that goes around, like all around the whole uh, earth. Tell people about God. Oh, oh my gosh, you my tie's coming out. Oh, here, let me tie that. What the heck? What do you think missionaries eat? Um, just like other food from other places. Mm. Think if they're in Africa, maybe they eat bananas and monkeys? No. No? Would you eat bananas and monkeys? No. Whatever's in the spot that they live in at the time, they eat pretty much everything. Yeah, do you think they have McDonald's there? No. no. Oh, no McDonald's? You think they eat fried monkey? Exotic stuff, yeah, like fried monkey, maybe. No, that doesn't sound pleasing. <laughs> that doesn't sound. Pleasing. You think they have McDonald's there? So, what do you think missionaries eat? Food. Oh, food, yeah. 
be like fried chicken, only fried monkey. You guys, you think you'd like to try that? It might taste good. You have to wash it first because the monkeys are coming and fixing everything. How do missionaries get where they're going? By like a plane or something, like a boat. Well, boat? Oh, they could go on a boat, yeah. Wait, an airplane. An airplane would be quicker, wouldn't it? Take um, a plane, or they either drive there. Find the airplane? Planes and boats. Flying? Flying, like flapping their wings? Oh, yeah, in a plane. That would be easier, wouldn't it? Well, what do missionaries wear? Like their clothes. So, how do missionaries live? How do they get their money? Just by like certain job or something. Well, by working. Oh, working. The bank. Oh, the bank. Yeah. Uh, by people funding them. Yeah, yeah. Well, who who funds them? Who gives them their money? Like churches and stuff. Do you think Pastor Chad works? Yeah. Really? What does he do? Run the church. Oh, is that a big job? So if you were a missionary, where would be the spot in the great big wide world that you'd want to go? Probably Afghanistan because that's a really bad country. Yeah, it is a really bad country. They really need that missionaries there, don't they? Yeah. Kenya? Kenya, yeah. Australia? Yeah, Australia is pretty cool because it's like got beach all the way around it, doesn't it? Probably Germany. Germany? Why Germany? Uh, I know a lot of people. I know some people in Germany, and they know they don't really believe in God. So uh, it'd be nice if I mean, if you could teach them about God. That'd be a good place to go. Would you eat a fried monkey? If it was cooked right. I'm not trying to. I'm a try. So who's your favorite missionary? Probably like the good men. Um, I don't know. Probably Jesus. Oh, cool. He was a cool missionary, wasn't he? He was like the first missionary of all missionaries. There you go. <laughs> Kevin was really pushing that fried monkey, wasn't he? I don't know. I mean, I want to answer the call and go wherever it is that God wants to send me, but, oh, man, hopefully it's not uh, with me having to eat some fried monkey. I don't know. Um, but if it's cooked right, that's what one of the kids said, right? Hey, so let's jump into God's Word this morning if, we, um, if we're here and it's good to laugh and it's, it's interesting to hear kids give a perspective as to what missions is and some of them are dialed in and some of them were just kids and I know for us, maybe we even have a mixed bag of, of like perspectives on what we think missions is and like what our responsibility is. So we're going to look at this passage in Matthew 9 and we're going to see exactly what Jesus said. Um, not only his disciples, but also us today, what our responsibility may be as it pertains to participating in missions, whether it's local or global missions. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
You see, I, I still believe that God sends missionaries today. I still believe that God lights up by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lights up the soul of individuals for them to leave countries and safe places like the United States to go off into faraway lands. And when they do so, they do that in accordance with what Jesus said here in the words in red in my Bible. He says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. There are many missionaries all over the world, and they're praying for other missionaries for people to become missionaries to go out and support their work. They're praying that, that God would inspire people in local churches like ours to gather some funds to send other missionaries other in, out into other places in the world. And this is so inspiring to me. The, the idea that Jesus would allow us, and knowing that it just takes one of us to, to answer the call to yield to God, to do what it is that we're supposed to do. It's so easy in America to, to basically set a course based upon what our parents want or expectations of our grandparents or our neighbors or our peers and to do a bunch of things, go to college, go to a trade school, go to school, and to not do what it is that God is inspiring them to do. It is so easy to do that. The whole system in our culture is, is to, to be swept up and to, go for, to raise up individuals and adults to go do their own thing. And yet what I have been praying for is just like what Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to, to prepare hearts, is my words, to prepare hearts. I've been praying the same thing for you that God would, would spur something in you. And maybe it's for us to, to take a stand, maybe for the first time or maybe for the 10th time, 15th time, to pledge a promise of, of faithfulness and finances to help fund missionaries. But maybe for you, maybe what you need to do is just simply say yes to the call of God on your life. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not really sure. What I do know is this. The reason why we do it is because of, Jesus' perspective here, notice in verse 35, it says, Jesus went out all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Notice when Jesus would go out to the cities and go out to the villages, what was he looking at? People. He was seeing people, and he was seeing people in a certain perspective. And I want to illustrate the perspective that Jesus uh, saw people at, and then I'll get back into the Word of God. So I have a short video that I think illustrates the way that he sees people. It's interesting because in that video, we're the sheep. People are the sheep. We all, just like Jesus said, that we're all sheep without a shepherd. And looking at the world, at one point, we may have the shepherd. We may have accepted, by faith, we may have accepted Jesus into our lives. But yet, there was a time and place where we were those sheep. 
And just as, as that, that runner is out in, just running the trail and then the, a bunch of sheep are lost and they're like, well, I think we'll follow her. It looks good enough for me. And so then one sheep and then two sheep, I don't know if, you, if I'm even saying that right, correct me if I'm wrong. Some of you are like good at grammar. And, and then all of a sudden, all of the sheep are following. They're like, I don't know where we're going, but we're going to her house. Like, and that's what it is. It's like some perspective of this is so true of us because whether we're saved or we're not saved, we still need the shepherd. Amen? And, and for us, if we are saved, we need to have the eyes of, of the shepherd. Notice back in this passage, we see the eyes of the shepherd here. It says in verse 35, Jesus went, he went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Not only was he preaching the message of the kingdom of God with words, but he was matching that with actions. And the actions were what? They were, he was healing every disease and sickness. So when he, he went out and, and, and he would engage these people, notice the way that he engaged them. It says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what did Jesus do? He saw these people. But he didn't just see the masses of people. He actually saw them at a deeper level. And I believe it's an invitation for us to see things differently as well. You see, motivation is interesting because when Jesus sees these crowds, he doesn't just see the mass of people. He sees them and he has compassion on them because he's motivated by something Deeper and motivation matters, doesn't it? Several years ago, we were on a, a missions trip. Actually, it wasn't several years ago, several months ago. It was earlier this year. We were on a missions trip over the summer, and it was th- with the church that, that I was pastoring prior to this one. We had set up a missions trip, and we still have a great relationship with us and that church. I love those people, saw some of those people when we were on vacation. And we finished up our time there by going on a missions trip, and it was amazing. It was amazing that there was a lot of things that I knew we were going to do, some things I didn't know we were going to do. And, and there, was, there was one particular uh, event or thing that we had set out to do where we were to build a basketball court in this remote village. And in this village, they're known as Bates, but it's, it's a Haitian village in the middle of, D- of the Dominican. There's all sorts of adversity and, and like hatred even between those two people groups. The Haitians go into the Dominican because that's a better life than living in Haiti. So they go live on these agricultural villages, these bates that are very remote. They, have, they barely have electricity, if any electricity. You get in there by moped. Most of the time, it's just by, by horse. So it's that primitive even today. Again, this was this summer. And, and when we were building these basketball court, I didn't, I didn't have any knowledge of where this particular bates was. I've been to a lot of bates, but not this one. I remember going into this bataille, and right in the middle of this bataille, there, was, there used to be a building there, and, and the building had been toppled. There was all sorts of cinder blocks, and it, the land was all a mess. And the pastor's brother lived right across the, the dirt road from this, and the pastor's mom lived actually right in the shadow of this big concrete dirt rock-filled mound. And when go, we'd gone into the village Half of us were going to go over and do some vacation Bible school work with children and with their mothers, and that was great. And then there was another large group that was there preparing the ground for when they would come and pour concrete. By pre- preparing the ground, I mean this. We didn't have equipment. We had shovels. We had our hands. We had some wheelbarrows with flat tires. You know how much fun that can be if you've ever used a wheelbarrow with a flat tire. 
And so we had that, and we had some pickaxes. And our job was to go through and to break up rocks and old cinder blocks into manageable pieces to put them in the wheelbarrow while somebody else took the wheelbarrow. We took the wheelbarrow too, all took turns. Take the wheelbarrow and to take and make this this big mound a small mound and then to fill in a hole. And literally it was moving the cinder blocks from the distance of probably that step over to where Ricky is right now. It was like that far. And yet it was over and over and over in just the heat of the day. And it was amazing to me because I never would have thought that making small rocks out of big rocks could be so fun. Uh, but it was. It was a blast. And, and in no other time would I have thought that that would be so fun. But you see, our motivation was this. We knew that we were clearing this, this land. We had to take the rocks and cinder blocks, all the debris, away from that spot. And we knew that we were clearing that spot for a basketball court that would be the place of gospel presentations for decades to come. We knew that that basketball court wasn't just something that we were just going to do and just make us feel good and then leave. We knew we were participating in in a kingdom work, although it was a kingdom work that had to do with a basketball and with some intentional uh, acts of pastors and ministers in this remote village that this would be the center hub of changing generations in this batay. These people don't have access like we have access. So the access of the gospel was going to be right there in the hub and center of this basketball court. You see, motivation matters. Because in a previous missions trip, we were, we were told that we were going to go and participate and, and just basically move sand. We were just moving sand. But I didn't know why we were moving sand. All I knew is we were moving sand. And let me tell you, the motivation level was like, it was bad because people didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. Jesus lets us in on the inside track, what's going on inside of him, as to why he's doing what he's doing. When he's preaching the good news of the kingdom and he's healing and sickness and disease, why? It's because he sees people differently. He sees people as, as they're lost, as they're harassed, as, they're, as if they're without a shepherd. But he uses this specific word that we're going to jump into. Notice how Jesus sees them. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Compassion means a feeling in the gut. A feeling in the gut. A feeling down deep. This gnawing inside of him. That just wouldn't let go. And if you look at at the, the Gospels or the biographies of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them have a perspective, but they show those perspectives so real and so raw in Jesus' life because, you see, he was motivated by what was going on around him and specifically just the condition of the people. He, was, he had compassion because he was moved by the world's pain. He had compassion because he was moved by the world's sorrow. He had compassion because he was moved by the world's hunger for truth. He had compassion because the world was so confused and they needed to know the truth. Jesus was moved by the world's loneliness. That they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost harassed by the cares of the world and the burdens of this life. And he responds with compassion. In the New Testament, Jesus reflects the Father's compassion compassion in dealing with fallen humanity. He heals diseases and infirmities. He casts out spirits. He empowers others to do the same. 
the type, same type of ministry. He fed hungry people. And in response to a mother's grief, he, he raised her only son from the dead. We're simply following the example of Jesus. When we have compassion on someone else, we're simply following the example of Jesus. Jesus was moved. He was motivated in heart when he looked at people. And he had compassion for them. We often get the two words, pity and compassion, mixed up. The word pity, it means this, sympathy towards one's suffering or distress. You see, I can have pity towards you and not do anything about it. It's just this feeling where it's like, like sympathy, like I can feel, like if you're in the middle and you're in the pit and you're struggling with something, I can have pity towards you and not be moved to action towards you. I can just see your suffering. I can see your distress. I can see that it's real. I can see the struggle. And I can be moved in heart, but yet not do anything about it. Compassion is different. Where pity just means sympathy towards one's suffering or distress, compassion means something altogether different. Compassion is always both an emotion, a feeling, and an appropriate action. It's always... In emotion, you're moved like Jesus was moved, but also it's an appropriate action. Whatever the action is to alleviate that suffering or our attempt to alleviate the suffering of someone else or, or maybe you see somebody in distress and it's to alleviate that distress in their life, whether it's through the gospel or, or another thing. But pity and compassion are two different things. And we as Christians, we have to understand the difference. There's nothing wrong with pity. There's nothing wrong with that. Being sympathetic and, and sitting there and, and when I make hospital visits and I just, I, I, I'm not pitying them in a, in a sad way. We use the word in, to say, oh, I pity you like B.A. Baracus. I pity the fool. Something like that. Like that's not, that's A-team. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. I know it. It's just deep in me too. But so it's like we use pity and like, oh, I pity that person. Almost like you just feel bad for them and like you, but you really don't care. When I use the word pity, I'm saying you actually have sympathy and you do care. But compassion is another level. Compassion is, is both the emotion that pity brings, but also an appropriate action to meet that need. So you may summarize it in this way also. is Compassion is something you feel and something you do based off of that feeling. Compassion is, is something you feel and something you do based off of that feeling. That's what Jesus did when he looked around at these, at these people. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. He went out and he, he brought the good news of the kingdom to them. And also he healed disease and sickness. So he addressed a physical issue and also a spiritual issue. But he was moved in his gut to do it. That's the feeling. It's a good thing for us to be moved internally, moved into action, that we feel something and do something based upon that feeling. And it's in these moments that we are clearly like Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.12, he said this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Be all about compassion. He continues, be, put on uh, compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
It's being compassionate towards those who don't know Christ. Compassionate to the point of, if you know the good news of the gospel, that means you not only should have pity upon that person to say, oh, those poor lost people, but yet, yet, if we're going to have hearts of Jesus and respond with compassion, it's knowing and feeling the distress that they're going through and taking the appropriate action of sharing the good news. Of telling them about Jesus. But it, it has to change in the way that we see people and the way that we see things. Jesus' heart was stirred because he looked at the condition of the people. Oh, church, we need to be stirred in the way that we look and we see the condition of the people. We should be moved when we see things going in the opposite direction of the gospel in our city, in our county, in our state, in our country. We should be moved not to the point of anger and then we go on on Facebook and we just try and scorch the earth underneath the politician we disagree with. That does no good. You needed to hear that. That does no good. None. It's great that people know how you feel, but that's not a, that is not doing what you think it's going to do. Instead, we need to be people understanding that our influence, to be salt and to be light, in the words of Jesus from Matthew 5. To be creative in our, in our attempts to bring the good news and also to be like light and be confrontive in our ways of good news. Not to do so electronically only, but to do things personally. Jesus met these needs because he saw the people in the condition that they're in. We need to have eyes to see things a little differently as well. We need to be motivated like Jesus to see people who are being harassed with just an exhaustive pace of life, to just the, the pressures of life. The pressures of consumerism. People unwilling to sacrifice, unwilling to serve in the church. People power, the seemingly powerless to, to change. People who, who simply won't share the good news of the gospel. People who are short of conviction. People who don't feel the sting of the Holy Spirit. When they call themselves Christians, we should be moved to action to ask the question, if they're not moved by God, although they say that they are children of God, and they're not moved by God, by the Holy Spirit, one has to ask the question, have they embraced the good news at all? We should be moved in these ways. Not to sit back and let somebody else do it, me or somebody else who's paid to do ministry, but instead realizing our God-given role to have the eyes of Jesus to see and to, to operate under a level of compassion. Not only to pity the person and to, to feel for them, but to do something about it. God is calling you to do something about it. To participate with Him. What a great call. What a great opportunity to think that God would do this and he would allow us to partner with him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and he's inviting us in and to do his work. Such an amazing opportunity for us to be like Jesus in this regard. But when was the last time you were stirred so deeply? When was the last time you were stirred so deeply? When was the last time you felt anything deeply as, as it re, in regards to people. When was the last time? You know, it's, it begs the question, how can we live compassionate lives in a self-centered world? How can we live compassionate lives in a self-centered world? 
most of the world that we see operates like this. They can't see the world because they're so busy seeing themselves. It's like, I'm sorry, I just didn't realize that need. I'm sorry, I I didn't realize that you needed that hospital visit. I didn't realize that you needed to be prayed for. Oh, I'm sorry, I I didn't realize that that I was supposed to be serving at church because I was on another weekend trip with my kids. I'm sorry, I I didn't realize that that, that the pastor was suffering. I was was so busy with, with my own thing that I didn't realize. I didn't realize that those missionaries needed funded. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't realize that we have that much of a need to to help the missionaries. I'm so busy looking at me. You see, but we don't have mirrors in front of us because that's weird. Like, we'd be able to spot that person in, in a crowd and say, okay, that per- that's just weird, that's off. But we have phones that do the same thing. We, we have all of our social media feeds, whether it's Reels on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or Snapchat or YouTube, all of these things are being cultivated to get us to look at our phone and to give us more of what the phone thinks that we want. That's what it's about. It, 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 our phones program us to look at our phones and not to see the world. Not to mention all the other times or opportunities we have to waste time shopping uh, on our phones and, and all the other ways that we can do that. So while we don't have mirrors in front of our faces, we have something that's just as, just as destructive. We have phones. Too busy looking at this to see people and to engage with people like Jesus did. Jesus said in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is what I've been asking of the Lord. Send some. Send some. Send some. Send people into the, into the field. Send some. Is that you? Are you the one who's supposed to be obeying God in that way and going? Feeling the burden of lost people somewhere and God's put a people group on your heart. Perhaps God is revealing to you what he wants to do with your life. Obey. Obey that call. It's a good work. Better than you can imagine. See, when it comes to missions, God, he wants some of us to go, and then there's others of us who can't go. So what do we do when we can't? When we can't get there in person, we support those who did. That's what we do. When we can't get there in person, when we can't go off and to, to go into all these countries and to bring the, the good news of the gospel, if we can't get there, we support those who did. We're faithful in partnering with other missionaries around the world as they're bringing the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God and they're doing their part, we do our part by partnering with them. You see, our giving and going as it pertains to any type of missions work, whether it's locally or globally, all of our giving and going is our faith offering to God. 
it is, all of it is our faith offering to God. It's just our offering by faith. People are saved by faith. If you have your guide this morning, we're going to fill in some blanks real quickly. I'm going to spend more time on the last one. But people are saved by faith. Christians operate by faith, totally, but we're, we're saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For it is by His grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. This is the good news of the gospel, that you don't have to save yourself because you can't save yourself, that God saves sinners. God allows you to have faith. Then you operate with the faith that God allows you to have, and that that, that too is a gift from God. And when you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for your sins. You ask Him for forgiveness. He cleanses your sins. The the unrighteous person, that is you, becomes righteous because of the blood of Jesus. A person is saved by faith. It's the same thing is true of the church in Ephesus, and it's the same thing is true today. That we're saved by faith. A Christian is secure by faith. Jude 24 says this, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Saying that it is God to him, to God, who is able to keep you from falling. That God keeps those who are saved, saved. They don't have to God doesn't save a soul, and then he puts that back on us to say, well, now you need to keep yourself saved. How foolish and how careless and how unloving would God be if that were true? And praise God, it's not true. God saves, and God keeps saved those who are saved. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Who through faith, the same faith that God gave you, we operate by faith in our life. And that faith also works in God with his shielding power. And it's until the coming of salvation where it's ready to be revealed at the last time. Everything is done by faith. There's another passage back in Ephesians verse 13 and 14 of chapter 1 says this. Having believed you are marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His name. At the very beginning, it says, having believed. In other words, having faith. That you are marked with the Holy Spirit of God. All this by faith. Christians please God by faith. We live a faithful Christian life and we please God by faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. This is the way that we come to God. When we pray to God, we pray to God in faith that He hears us. 
and believing that he does. And lastly, we give to missions with faith. We give to missions with faith. But why wouldn't we? Everything else we do is by faith. Of course we're going to give to missions by faith. The passage of Scripture I invite you to look at is in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. And it's so interesting to me because when the Apostle Paul writes this the second letter that made it into the Bible, we believe there's actually four different letters given to the church in Corinth, but this is only the second one that made it into the, the canon of Scripture, the standard of Scripture. What's really interesting about this is the Apostle Paul, this, in the second letter, it's not near as direct and, and kind of harsh as the first one. And the second one, Paul has some directness and some... The message is, is very stark, but not as much as in, in, the, in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, when he gets into chapter 8, he's trying to help motivate them to be faithful in giving. And what he's doing is he sees, he sees the condition, he knows the condition of the people in the church in Corinth. So what he does is he uses an example of another church the Macedonian church, and he draws from what's going on with the Macedonian church because the Macedonian church is getting it right. So he's not wanting, to, he's not wanting them to just feel bad about their not giving. Instead, he wants them to be motivated like the church in Macedonia. So in chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave us as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. In other words, they gave by faith. They knew what they were able to do, and that they believed God, and they gave a little bit more. Entirely on their own, at the end of verse 3, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Entirely on their own. They weren't manipulated. They didn't need to be manipulated because they were motivated by God to see people the way that God saw them. The Apostle Paul now draws upon this Macedonian church And he's inviting the Corinthian church and he's inviting us to look at them. He says, look at this church. They have their own poverty. They have their own issues. Maybe they have their own inflation. Taxes were way too high. But what did they do? They knew humanly possible what it was that they were able to give. But they trusted God that they could just give a little bit more. Won't you do that this morning? In front of you, you may have received it last week. Maybe you've already filled it out, but last week, everybody was handed one of these, and we also have extras on the seat backs. I want you to take your pledge promise card out. Even if you're not going to fill it out, I want you to put it in your hand. I want you to put it in your hand. You see, this card represents seeing people differently. 
This card represents faithfulness. This card represents compassion. Not only realizing that that people need the gospel message all over the world and that missionaries need to feed their families and they need to sustain just like we're sustaining here. Not only realizing that and feeling that, but this card represents the action taken because of the way we feel. That's what this card represents. The card has two parts. There's a tear-off part that says keep. It's self-explanatory. But on the other side of the card... There's an opportunity there. It says, in dependence on God, I will promise to give the amount noted below to the missionary work of our church. We have 52 missionaries. And the amount that we need per week just to fund the current missionaries we have is $1,500 a week. That's just, that's no new missions work. As a matter of fact, this past year, We've trimmed back missionaries, and we've had to send letters to missionaries saying, I'm sorry, we can no longer support you because we're, we, we were not getting the funds in. So we've already had to make some tough decisions. But for you, it's saying yes. When you, you give your promised amount and you fill it in, you're saying, yes, I'm partnering with, with the missions that we have, missionaries that we have on the field. I'm partnering with God to do work whether it's in the United States or somewhere overseas. It's saying, yes, I I, I know that this is maybe the comfortable amount that I can give or what I gave last year, and yet I'm believing by faith that God is going to bring the increase, so I'm going to write that increase amount on this card. I invite you to look at the card. I invite you to pray over the card now. God, may we be like the Macedonian church. God, may we be like you, Jesus, who who doesn't just feel that they need to do something, but, but they obey you and actually take the steps they're supposed to. I invite you to look at your card. I'm gonna pray. I invite you to pray as well. God, spur us to action today. The actions of faithfulness. God, we support your work in in giving and going. And just believing there's somebody in here, God, that you're stirring that they're supposed to go. They don't know their launch day, but you do. And God, you're moving in their hearts. You keep breaking their heart over and over and over again. And maybe they've already said yes, but they haven't told somebody else. God, may today be the day where they make it vocal, where they come forward and just say, you know what? I've surrendered to missions. I don't know where and I don't know when, but I know that I am. God, allow them by faith to come forward and just make that public. God, for those who aren't gonna be able to go May we be like the Macedonian church where we, we feel and we take action because we have compassion. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving us first and loving us always. Loving us when we were the most unlovable, unkind, 
ungrateful, not a drop of thankfulness in us. You loved and you kept loving and you will keep loving. That unending, unquenchable agape. Jesus, spur us today, right now in this moment, to write down the amount that we're supposed to give by faith. I pray, God, that we would be able to meet these needs. It's a huge need. It's a faith need. $1,500 a week on a church our size is a lot. But, God, you don't just own the cattle on, a hill, on Thousand Hills. You own the hills also. So, Jesus, do what it is that you are going to do. Amen. You can take your card. You can fill out the amount that you believe that God has laid on your heart to give. We've been building for this moment all month long. We've talked about impact. The kingdom people should have an impact. We looked at the example of Nehemiah who saw, because he, he was moved spiritually, he saw a social need and he met that need. And he, and he even went beyond what he initially saw. We started the series by talking about light and the aspect of light and how there's a confrontive nature of the way that Jesus has given us light to influence others. Just casting the light into the darkness, people can't help but see it. We also talked about last week and looked at the example of Noah and just the faith that he had in believing that God was true to his promise and that he, he by faith, followed through and obeyed. And we talked about how obedience is, is ultimately something we should just expect if we're Christians, being obedient to God. This is one of those opportunities for us. Every dollar that you write on your, your promised amount, every dollar is committed to global missions is a life-changing dollar. Everyone. Everyone. There's no wasted money, no wasted opportunities. What's interesting, if you talk to missionaries, they... They pray for us and they pray that, that people like us will go help them. You see, God answers their prayers by moving us to give and to go. And faith promise puts the words of Christian truth into the deeds of Christian love. This isn't something we just do once a year. This is something we do all year long until the Lord returns. If you have your card filled out, you can just hold that. And if you would turn the lights on, please. I have a couple of deacons who are actually going to walk down the middle aisle and they're going to take those cards. So if you just take those cards, you can just flip it over. It's really no business. It's between you and God, but just take those cards, pass it over into the middle. The deacons are going to walk the aisle and pick the cards up. Some people have already passed out cards. If there's no cards in your particular aisle, that's fine. Just keep moving so you guys can turn around. And if there's any cards to be had, you can pick those up and start working. 
the aisle and then I'll collect those when you're done. not have the opportunity this year of, of pledging to give anything, but what you can do is you can pray. And of course, we believe in the power of prayer. So please pray if you're well, if you were able to give anything or if you're not able to give anything this year, please pray. Pray for our missionaries. Pray that, that God will meet their need, that God will uh, allow their, their work to be fruitful and for them to be able to see it. Missions work is lonely work. So let's pray that God would meet their need, both financially, spiritually, and emotionally. Thank you, guys. You guys can stand. Thank you. Lord Jesus, as we get ready to respond with singing, God, we say thank you. Whatever the, the, the pledge promise is for this year that has been collected, God, we say thank you. Thank you for doing the work that, that you started all these years ago. And God, may you use our offerings just as an offering of praise back to you and also of help to the missionaries around the world. Thank you, Jesus.